So we are in the, the final week of our series on Advent. Advent is a time of expectant waiting. It's the beginning of the church calendar. So the, the year starts, according to the church calendar, about four weeks ago uh, in, in, in this Advent season. And we've had a, a sermon series called Adventageous that we've been in. And the idea there is that the timing of God... Uh, we would think in our minds, at least uh, some of the, the, the cultural uh, ideas would cause us to believe that when God shows up, that that would be really sort of an advantageous thing for us, that we'd, all of a sudden we'd make more money, our relationships would work out better, uh, we would get the job we've always wanted, that annoying person would go away, um, we would be healed of all of our ailments. And... Um, some of those things do happen sometimes when we see God show up in our lives, but the narrative of Scripture is often one in which when God shows up, it's anything but advantageous in those sort of regular societal norm ways. And so we've looked at that in different ways. We looked at uh, imagining what is this shape of God and, and what is that? what will that look like, what could that look like, and examining that in the prophets. We've looked at how to prepare for this sort of unexpected, maybe not immediately advantageous-seeming presence of God. Uh, we've thought about, last week, Robert preached a wonderful sermon on just kind of what do we do when it seems like, seems like God's almost late or not showing up or we're sort of in between this space. And uh, this week, as we look at the Annunciation passage where Mary is being uh, told by the angel Gabriel, hey, you're, you're about to be basically pregnant with the Messiah of the world of God coming. We're looking at uh, what, what, do we look like, what does it look like now when God does show up? And um, we're like, is this really it? I, I was preparing. I was kind of preparing myself. I was looking forward to it. I you know, was trying not to hold too many expectations and be flexible, but now it's here, God's here, and uh, how can this be? How can, how can this be what it looks like? That's what Mary says. She says, how can this be when the angel comes? And so that's what we're going to, to look at today, uh, because there's, there's times in, in all of our lives when that's what we're saying in the midst of the circumstances we find ourselves in. We're, we're finding ourselves saying, how can this be? And, and sometimes it's good. Uh, sometimes it's like, whoa, how can this be that I'm getting this opportunity or this person is loving me or showing me love and care in this way or believing in me and handing me these responsibilities or, or wants to be in relationship with me? And, and there's other times where it's tragic and it's tragedy and we're saying, how can this be? Uh, there's, there's also times when it's sort of both of these things together, sort of intermingling and mixing, where it's like there is something good. We're like, whoa, how can this good thing be? But also we're hit with these thoughts and feelings of almost terror or fear that maybe this good thing that we're holding or that's coming, it's going to fail. It's not going to work out. Um, so we have this hope and this immediate threat to the hope and the trust that we have. And this is the story of the birth of Jesus, this, this intermingling of these ideas and these things going on um, as we, with Mary, take time right now to ponder, how can this be? How can this be? 
did I read the scripture? I didn't read the scripture. I sure didn't. Um, so let's go ahead and read the scripture together, and then we'll get into this passage. So the passage this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Yeah, so uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, yeah, there's, there's these times in our lives when we say, how can this be? How can this be because there's usually a follow-up line, because just like there was with Mary, because I am too young, or, or I'm so old, or I'm uh, a man, or I'm a woman, or um, how can this be because I've worked at this my whole life? It just depends on on if it's a good or a bad thing or it's sort of an intermingling thing, but we know this question, we know this phrase uh, for ourselves. And I think we can learn a lot about how we can find hope and courage when we find ourselves in the midst of these questions asking, how can this be, as we look at this exchange between Mary and the angel Gabriel and the coming of God in this way that anybody would say, well, how can this be? So let's take a look back at the scripture in verse 26 here. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So let's, let's just kind of get the setting here a little bit. Uh, to kind of dive into this story and maybe see things similarly to how uh, a first century or second century person would have been reading this. So um, previous in this narrative, we saw uh, the cousin Elizabeth uh, and her finding out about her pregnancy, and that's what it starts with here. And that, that annunciation by the angel happened in a temple. 
So it happened in a place where we would expect to kind of hear from God, see something from God. And it happened uh, with Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, who was a temple priest, and he was doing his duty there. So it was kind of like all the normal uh, things, as normal as a visit from God could be, that we would think of in our mind. Like we're in church, we're praying, we're doing these things, and then we get a message from God. But what we see here with uh, Mary is a very different circumstance. It says that, God sent this angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So this is a, this is a little town. Um, it's not really known. It's definitely not known for theology. It's not known for fancy temples. It's not known for the presence of God uh, moving in powerful ways. In fact, if you were a Jewish person, what you would know about this part of the Middle East is that for a Jew, you were in a town that was bordered by a lot of Gentiles. There were a lot of Gentiles around you, a lot of people who maybe didn't share the same faith and you didn't believe in the same God as you. And then we see that this angel is not sent to a, a priest, not a man, not a prophet uh, of, of repute or something like that, but to a seemingly ordinary uh, couple and first, the woman Mary, who's, uh, she's young, she's probably somewhere in between like 13 and 16 years old. Uh, that was the, the time frame in which uh, women would have gotten married then. And uh, so she's at home, and she's engaged, she's pledged to be married, but she's unmarried to someone who the reader, the writer wants us to know, is a descendant of David. Uh, Mary is as well, um, and that's important because that's the lineage that the Messiah was said to come through, um, and this virgin's name was Mary. So we've got this descendant, this line that Mary's connected to of where the Messiah might come through, but other than that, I mean, this is a very, very ordinary seeming situation here. A young woman engaged to be married, she's in her in her house, probably just doing normal chores and things like that, and this angel shows up. So this is really unexpected compared to what we might imagine or where and how we might imagine God to show up. It doesn't say that she was in fervent prayer or anything like that or that she was known for her righteous acts or anything. We don't know anything about her other than she's engaged to be married, she's probably a really young woman, and we're in this, this unremarkable town. You don't hear anything about Galilee or Nazareth uh, at this time in the world because Jesus hadn't come from there yet. So uh, that's, that's where we are. And um, again, that's always getting at this same, this same idea of expecting the unexpected when we're dealing with the God of the Bible. And so we keep going here. Uh, in verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And, and another translation uh, translate that, translates that as perplexed. That Mary was greatly perplexed at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Uh, yeah. So if I'm Mary, yeah, I'm thinking this is incredibly strange. I'm, I'm right with her. What, what could this possibly mean? Uh, have you ever, have you ever um, felt like somebody was 
overly flattering you in the beginning of a conversation and you wondered like, what's your angle? What, what do you really want uh, from me? Like, oh, you're so great. You're so lucky. You're so fortunate or whatever. And it's just like, this is just a little bit too much. I wonder if Mary felt some of that. She doesn't seem scared of the angel. She just seems like, what, why are you here? You know, what are you, what are, what are you about to ask me to do here? You jump through some hoops. She has a reasonable amount of skepticism uh, because it's not typical that a woman like her, a young woman, somebody would come to her and say, wow, you are highly favored. You're, you're, you're really great. And uh, I've got a message for you about that. And I, I love this uh, about, about Mary because she doesn't, she doesn't uh, enter this situation as somebody who's really pious or has all the answers right away uh, or um, just accepts everything verbatim. She lets herself be confused. And I think, I think that's actually really important if we want to encounter God in our lives, if we want to see the presence of God with us. Because sometimes, sometimes we're in a situation and we're, it seems like maybe there's something going on. There's something at work. And because we're afraid and because we don't understand, instead of letting ourselves be confused or perplexed, we try to immediately draw conclusions about it. You ever, you ever done that? I, I did that just the other day um, with uh, there's a, a mouse got into our house and Becky was kind of freaking out about it. And um, I, I just was kind of like, well, it's going to be okay, and here's the deal. And, you know, uh, the, 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 I was, basically I was scared about her reaction. And instead of being like, what, what's, what, is, what are all your concerns, I just jumped to, like, it's just a mouse. It's no big deal. We'll put up traps, and it's going to be done. And, uh, and that, didn't, that didn't work out so well uh, because I came off as maybe – macho or, um, you know, like uncaring about the situation. Sometimes it's best just to let ourselves be confused when something confusing happens, when we don't understand it. Otherwise, we usually devolve into judgment or rage or some way of trying to control or manage a situation that is outside of our control. And that's what Mary does here. She lets herself be confused. And actually, I think that's a huge part of why this encounter goes the way it goes and why maybe even God chose someone like Mary. There was something so unassuming about her. Um, for me, what helps me is if I just imagine something that's always confusing to me. So like algebra, geometry, right? Just give my, just, just imagine that what's happening in front of me is just one of those things. And then I can give myself permission to just be confused. When you're confused, you don't have to know. You don't have to understand. You don't have to gain control of the situation. And this is, this is typical of Mary. Luke later tells us, as things were going on with the birth of Jesus, that she pondered and treasured these things in her heart. She's not somebody who has to have all, it all figured out and all lined up. And that seems to be a good position to be in if you want to be able to recognize and engage God when God shows up in your life. So she's more interested in the message that's coming from outside than if she feels completely comfortable hearing it on the inside, all right? 
There's so many messages we hear that make us uncomfortable and we stop listening to the message. But she's more interested in that message than she is about the discomfort or uncomfortableness that she hears on the inside. So she gives herself permission to be perplexed and confused. We keep going in verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, how will this be, or how can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? So here's, here's, here's what's going on here. The angel says to Mary, you are going to have a son, and he's going to be an immortal Messiah, God, King, with a never-ending kingdom. And Mary says, but I'm a virgin. Like, that, that's her question. That's her concern. Is like, but, I, but, but how, could, how, how can I have uh, a baby? Because I've never been with a man before. Right? I, I, just, I just, I love it. I mean, there's no... If you were going to make a myth about, the, about a God coming down, there, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of myths out there that existed before Jesus' time about, about a, a God embodying human form. You would certainly not have the conversation go this way because Mary is, is not uh, the mother of God uh, that's with all the pristine answers and holiness and righteousness here. She's, she's a peasant girl who thinks practically, right? She's like, how are we going to get this from A to B. She's, she's like Matt Brown, right? I'm like, Matt, I want to do this. And he's like, but the cord doesn't reach to get there. I'm like, Matt, we're talking about more than a cord right now. They're talking about this whole thing. Let's get another cord, you know? Um, and and that's, that's Mary here. And for some of us, this is super relatable, right? We're really practical and somebody paints a picture and, uh, and, and of this big, awesome thing. And you're the one that says, why do you think you could do that? Why do you think you could make that happen? Right? But for some of us, we don't relate to this. We're kind of on the other end of the spectrum, like myself, where it's, it's like details, whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. Like, it's, we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to get it done. Um, but, but I want you to imagine, so if, if Mary was the kind of person that a lot of us grew up telling us what our faith should look like, then she would have said something like, okay, great, cool, thanks for coming by. Uh, I'll work on the nursery, right? I'll, I'll, I'll paint it gold since, since I'm going to have a God King baby uh, who, who's the Messiah of the world, right? Like, just believe. Just believe it all. Take it all in. But it, the truth of the matter is, um, when, when something happens and none of us can relate to this particular thing happening. But when something big happens like this, or uh, we think there's some amazing thing that could be on the threshold, at some point we're going to distrust it. And Mary does it out loud. So she allows herself to be confused, and then she allows herself to distrust what's happening out loud. It's, it's a really good way to think about how to engage with when God is maybe entering our lives, maybe doing something in our lives of things that we can give ourselves permission to do. 
We can give ourselves to be perplexed and confused and to distrust out loud. Um, what that doesn't mean is just hurting everyone's feelings and just saying, I don't trust you, I don't trust anything you say, I don't trust what you say, all that kind of stuff. But it does mean in appropriate times expressing doubt, like I just have a hard time believing this. I have a hard time believing and trusting. And that's not really about you, or it's, maybe it's not about you, God, but I do uh, have these experiences where I trusted something and I was let down, and this is way bigger than that. So I'm having to distrust some of this out loud. This Mary shows us what an unassuming, unpretentious faith can really look like. Uh, this makes room. This makes space inside of us for wonder. When, we, when we're not filled up with having to have the answers and hone it in and control it or rage against it uh, because it's too awesome, too terrible to imagine it could be true, when we let our distrust out, it makes space. It makes room for wonder to ponder. What if it could be? What if it, what if it might be true? What if it is greater than what I can understand? What if it's God? And I, I also, I can't, you know, a lot of times I, Mary is, is uh, depending on the tradition, Catholic or Protestant, Mary is made to be almost like the fourth person of, of a trinity, a quadrilateral like in, 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 some, in some of the Catholic traditions. Um, and, but then in the, the Protestant world, she's kind of like just a footnote, like a, just like, yeah, and you know, God needed, to, needed a womb, and Mary's was free, and, and that's it. But, but Mary is the first one to believe in Jesus. She's, she's the first one uh, to hear the message of the gospel and receive it and accept it. But I also think Mary is, is such a needed presence in this story. She gives us a way to relate to half of the human race um, of somebody who I can't help but think of all the women who are in an in, un or in advantageous position to carry a child. Uh, where, where they were pregnant, either they, they really didn't want to be, or uh, the situation was really harsh, or maybe they couldn't get pregnant, but just to be a woman and have a space that could potentially grow a whole nother human being. And, you know, like, that's a lot. And that's important in this story. That's almost like immediately you're born with a hope and a fear right there that stays with you your whole life if you're a woman in some, in some way, shape, or form. And I think that's really important, and I think there's a lot uh, we, can, we can learn about that and about how Mary navigates that experience as a very vulnerable person. She's about to deal with all kinds of difficulties holding this child growing inside of her and running for their lives and for the child's life and dealing with all kinds of difficulties. And there's millions of women who have dealt with this and who even there's uh, many, many women, thousands and maybe millions dealing with it right now, this very moment. And I think that's really important. And I think Mary 
um, draws our attention to that. And I think the scriptures do as well. Uh, because in verse 35, after Mary questions and distrusts Gabriel out loud, uh, the angel explains to her, this is how this will happen. He, uh, Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And this just sounds really weird. Like if you're just reading it like we are, just kind of out of the context of the rest of the scriptures, it sounds really weird. And it just sounds really weird anyways, because this I looked up just for fun, just to like virgin births, you know, uh, stories about virgin births. And there's some really crazy ideas out there, uh, crazy stories, uh, and I'm not going to relay really any of them there, but there's ancient myths all the way up to um, just modern day kind of, uh, um, uh, what do you call those, The kind of the modern day uh, stories uh, urban legends, yeah, there's some urban legends about that stuff. But but this language is actually not unfamiliar to a Bible literate person. So, for example, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which was also written by Luke, it says this, Jesus saying this to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, the exact same words in English and Greek, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then in Matthew 17, verse 5, when, when uh, uh, Jesus was on the, on the mountain with uh, Peter, uh, Peter, John, and James, it says while he was still speaking, I think Peter was talking, usually it's Peter talking, a bright cloud covered them, or uh, it translated, it's the same words, again, in the Greek, uh, as overshadowed, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's the same language here. But, but as we were reading it uh, on Tuesday as a staff, um, and, we, and we were thinking about that, this image came into my mind the, of, of God overshadowing, the kind of the, the hovering of God over something. It reminded me of Genesis 1, uh, where... Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So here you have, the I'm seeing the presence of God, and it's overshadowing this kind of nascent, unformed world, this universe. And that picture in my mind, it reminds me so close of God overshadowing like a woman's womb, like a, like a place where it's all primed and ready for creation. It just hasn't started yet. And I think this is incredibly powerful because it seems right here that we're seeing uh, the, the very beginning, the spark of the new creation, the new world that the scriptures are chocked full of talking about, that we're anticipating and waiting for. And it's like this miraculous thing, this mysterious and miraculous thing of a child growing in the womb of a woman is, is being easily compared to the creation of the world here. I mean, it's an easy connection to make once you're in that mindset and that mind frame. And so we have... 
In Genesis, God speaks the world into existence. The Spirit of God hovers over uh, this unformed uh, uh, void and, and dark space and speaks it into creation and then gives man and woman the charge of cultivating it and caring for it. And here we see this happening again. We see that God is uh, hovering over Mary's womb, speaking life into it, and now Mary is responsible as the first act of new creation of the Messiah coming into the world, nurturing and caring for this child in the middle of all this chaos, of all the things that are going to happen and will be happening in the world. And I think that's really an important thing for us to think about. The, the miracle of a child uh, growing inside of a womb, that is ordinary. It's every day, right? It's happening all over the place, all over the world. And yet it's a miracle. And it's that it's, it's, it's not that God has to invent some other process or other way. It's just that God enters into that miracle, that recreation. So uh, in, uh, in verse 35, it says, So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And, um, you know, again, like, it seems like Gabriel, he, it seems like he's, he's trying to convince Mary a little bit here. Like, it's almost like there was a, there was a pregame talk with God and Gabriel, like, Gabriel... I'm sending you to Mary. I'm sending you to her for a reason. And you're going to have to be on your A game. She's not going to be impressed that you're an angel. She's not going to be impressed with what you have to say. She's a down-to-earth girl. And you're going to have to, you're going to, have to like really, really state your case well, right? And, and so it's kind of like, okay, we comparing to apples and oranges here, Gabriel. Like, okay, Elizabeth's older and she's having a baby in her old age. Yes, miraculous. But you're talking to me about a virgin birth here. Right. Like I could just almost see Mary just kind of like peering through Gabriel and Gabriel being like, oh, man, this is almost like being in the presence of God. The way this woman's eyes are seeing through me like X-ray vision. Right. I mean, seems like he is he's convincing her to agree. Like there's there is consent needed here. (laughs) Uh, In verse 38, Mary responds. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Mary says, all right, I'll do it. I don't have all the answers, but I've told you my concerns. And uh, let's, let's, see how, let's see how it goes. I'll, I'll, I'll do it if, that's what, if that what, that's what needs to happen here. As, as we get close to the end here, the last few minutes, um, I think it's really important the way that Mary ends this conversation with the angel because, uh, you know, Mary is about to embark on some really difficult things. She's about to have her engaged husband be like, why are you pregnant? She's in a culture and a family where that is especially taboo. 
I mean, like really taboo in this Jewish conservative culture that she's in. She's about to have to go to Bethlehem for a consensus, riding on donkey, pregnant, have the baby there, then they're going to have to leave and run away. And I can't help but, but, but think that as, as Mary worked through this conversation and worked through her doubts and openly distrusted, allowed herself to be confused, came to a place where she could accept this news, that she didn't, she didn't find herself in a victim mentality uh, because she could. And, and a lot of times we can find ourselves there and we can kind of have that lens um, because it's comfortable for us. It's like, oh my gosh, why is this happening to me now? I mean, why is it in these circumstances in this situation? And, and uh, of course, this is going to happen to me like this. Like, of course, I'm going to be saddled with this burden and this responsibility, and I'm going to lose all my friends, and this and that's going to happen. But she doesn't do that. She, she, if, she, if she had fallen into that, it's possible uh, the baby Messiah might not have made it. But she's like, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. Let's figure this out. Let's do this. And the next thing she does in the passage ahead of this, she reaches out to Elizabeth, who's in a similar situation, and she goes and visits, visits Elizabeth and gets encouraged and gets a word from the Lord from Elizabeth. And so another pregnant woman becomes the second person uh, to affirm and to believe in uh, the Messiah. So we have here in this passage, we have something that really upsets the norms. We have in a patriarchal world, these women are the first to believe, the first to testify, the first to become co-creators with God of the new creation to come. There's holy work taking place just even in this, in this exchange, in this conversation here. And this time of, of Advent that we're in, it, it seems like it's as much about recognizing uh, the, the holy miracle out of the ordinary things as it is the, the ordinary capacity that we as human beings have to get to engage in miraculous things, in miracles, in things that are, might be unexpected, maybe even undesired, responsibilities, burdens, surprising news. Um, if the Savior of the world can be born this way, through this ordinary miracle sort of situation almost, then what else? What else could be happening in our midst? What else could God be doing if we allow ourselves to be confused, if we allow ourselves to openly distrust and to then find a place, some room for acceptance into what we're seeing and that God might be present in it. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for those of us who are at home. Thank you for Lonnie and Judy with us sharing the Advent readings and uh, for uh, Rachel and Matt and Janina being here with us, uh, leading us in worship. And I pray that our hearts would be stirred and cultivated to wonder, to wonder about what you might be doing, where you might be in our midst. 
And as we come to the table, we're, we're reminded that in many ways, you're, you're always in our midst and always inviting us. Amen.